0: The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning, Bereans. We are going to, our next study is going to be Second Thessalonians, which makes sense, right? We just finished first. We're going to go right into second. But before we do that, I have a few things I want to deal with. Back in 2013, I did a three-part series on the afterlife, which I don't agree with at all anymore. I know. I talked to a man, I don't know, I guess maybe six months ago. I'm terrible about time. At least I know what soon means. but (laughs) But he said, hey, I just listened to your series on the afterlife. That's great. I really agree with you. And I'm like, I don't. He said what? I said I don't agree with it. What? It was really good. I'm like no. I said no. I don't agree with it at all. So we're gonna. <laughs> so I'm gonna redo the series. We're gonna take that old one down. And uh... <laughs> you know I haven't had to do this too much. I mean of course my view changes and I've evolved and I learned new things. But uh, for the most part, you know we've been moving along okay. But this is something I just I think is important. And let me start by saying the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about the afterlife or heaven. So what we believe about it, you know, we have to try to pull together what we can from small bits and pieces of Scripture. I had a college professor who wrote a book called The Truth About Heaven. And so the first time I did this series, I thought, well, that's cool. Let me go get that book and got the book and read it. And I thought nothing in there about heaven. It's all about the new covenant. And see, he just didn't understand that. And I didn't either, because before becoming a preterist, I thought the Bible said a lot about heaven. Boy, streets of gold and all this cool stuff, you know, and then I see that most of those verses are talking about the new covenant and we're living in that right now. So the nature of the afterlife or heaven is a big question. I think there's a lot to learn there. Maybe there's a lot we can't learn. We won't know this side of eternity. So what does the Bible say about it? Why does the Bible say so little about heaven? I don't really know. I guess my guess would be that there's no way that we can really understand the intricacies and the depth of the spiritual realm that Yahweh dwells in. It's beyond our finite understanding. But there is some stuff in there that it does tell us. And we're going to look at that. And some of it's going to be controversial. So you're just going to have to hang on and be a Berean, and go through yourself and figure out what is true. One text that does tell us something about the afterlife in heaven is the text that Bob read this morning in Matthew 22. It says, The same day the Sadducees came to him, who say, him is, of course, Yeshua. They say there's no resurrection. And they ask him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies, having no children... And his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died. Having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. So to the second and the third, down to the seventh. You know, if I was the fifth, I'd say, "Mm, I don't know about this. (laughs) By the sixth, I'm like, I don't think I want to marry you. Everybody's dead that marries you. You are the common denominator in this dead situation here, all right? Therefore, of the seven, here's the question, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Because they all had her, so whose wife should... Now, what is really odd about this text? Did anybody catch it? Well, verse 23 says this, the Sadducees are talking to him, and they don't believe in the resurrection, okay? Then here's the question. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Now, isn't that a little odd? Okay. (laughs) Thank you. This is about, you know, if you're paying attention when you're reading, you pick this stuff up, okay? They're asking Yeshua about something they don't even believe in. So the best way to describe the Sadducees might be that they are the polar opposite of the Pharisees. If the Pharisees said white, the Sadducees would no doubt say black, all right? The contrast between them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, according to Edersheim, Alfred Edersheim, at least, he said, can be found in three major areas. He said their view of tradition, at least the traditions of the Pharisees, second, their view of the supernatural, especially the resurrection of the dead, angels and spirits, and third, their view on divine sovereignty and human responsibility. See, the Sadducees, were disenchanted with the traditions of the Pharisees. And they rejected the concept of the resurrection of the dead. They rejected the existence of angels. And they rejected spirits. And they leaned heavily on the role of human responsibility. So to the Sadducees, this life is all there is. This is it. When you die, you're done. That's it. You're gone. No more. It's over. That's kind of a sad position. There's a book in the Apocrypha called The Wisdom of Solomon. It was written before Christ, and there's a place in chapter 2 in which men who don't believe in life after death, like the Sadducees, they speak out. And what they reveal is what you're left with if there's no expectation of life after death, no belief in the resurrection. They say, for we were born by mere chance. And hereafter we shall be as though we had never been. For the breath in our nostrils is smoke, and reason is a spark kindled by the beating of our hearts. When it is extinguished, the body will return to ashes, and the spirit will dissolve like empty air. Our name will be forgotten in time, and no one will remember our works. Our life will pass away like the traces of a cloud. And be scattered like mist that is chased by the rays of the sun and overcome by its heat. For our allotted time is the passing of a shadow, and there is no return from our death, because it is sealed up, and no one turns back. That's a pretty sad view of life. This is it, we're gone, puff of smoke, and it's all gone. You know, Paul kind of expressed this same view if there wasn't a resurrection. He says in first Corinthians fifteen, thirty two. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He says, if there's no afterlife, then it doesn't matter what you do. Just party, live it up. This is all there is. Now, in our text in Matthew, the Sadducees refer to their teaching of Deuteronomy 25. It says, if a man dies having no children... His brother must marry his widow and raise up his offspring. This is the, le- the law of Leverite marriage. Now, the word Leverite has nothing to do with Levi or the biblical Levites. It's just called that because of the Latin lever, meaning husband's brother. So the law taught that if a man dies and he doesn't have children, then his widow is to marry his brother. And that's why all these guys kept dying and she just kept, you know, supposedly marrying somebody else. And refusal to fulfill this obligation results in public shame. And the reason, because it, it indicated a greater concern for one's personal welfare than for the welfare of the extended family. And the family was important, so that's why you're, you're marrying the widow, to raise up a seed, to keep your brother's name alive. Now, most scholars believe that this was a question that the Sadducees posed to the Pharisees in order to mock their belief in the resurrection. See, they're just trying to give him a hard time. Because they say if there was a resurrection, then think of the problems it would cause. Whose wife is she? You got these seven women. Okay, we've got to figure out. Maybe he has all seven of them. I mean, they had polygamy, so what do they care? You know, he can have all of them, right? The Sadducees didn't care about whose wife someone would be in the resurrection. They didn't even believe in the resurrection. Okay, so they don't care about this. This never really happened. It's simply a ridiculous story that they made up. The question of one bride and seven brothers is not a search for truth. The Sadducees didn't expect, indeed, didn't want an answer. They just simply hoped to stump Yeshua. And thus to demonstrate how foolish ideas of resurrection from the dead are. See, if Yeshua, the most noted and unstumpable teacher alive, could be stumped by their question, then he'd become, reluctantly, an endorsement of their view. So they're just trying to mock the resurrection. But Yeshua answered them, you're wrong. I think Bob read it from the New King James, said you're mistaken. No, he just, you're wrong, okay? And wrong here is planao which means to geographically go astray from the path or the road. Then it came to take on a more ethical connotation. They'd gone astray from the truth. And so that's what he says. Listen, you guys are just flat out wrong. That's it. Then he says this. You know neither the scriptures. Now, I mean, aren't these people supposed to know the scriptures, these religious leaders? Well, see, the Sadducees were inclined to ignore all religious writings except the Torah. The first five books of, the, of Moses, you know, they, that was what they thought was the Bible and that was it. And since those books don't directly talk about the resurrection or the afterlife, the Sadducees didn't believe in it. Now if they had received the writings of the prophets as the revelation of God, then they might have understood that there is a resurrection because Isaiah talks about it, Daniel talks about it, Job talks about it. But they're sticking to the first five books. There's no resurrection. And he says... You don't understand the scripture, nor the power of God. And I think when Yeshua declares that they deny the power of God, he may invoke the traditional Jewish view that God expresses his power most visibly in the resurrection. In the New Testament, the standard of power is the resurrection. I think you can understand that, right? I mean, what's more powerful than the resurrection? What was the standard of power in the Old Testament? It was the Exodus. Whenever he wanted to talk about power, power he brought him out of Egypt. That's the standard of power. In the New Testament, it's the resurrection. Now let's look at how Yeshua answers the Sadducees. He says, For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said by God? And they should have known this because it's in the Torah. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, what does this answer of Yeshua tell us? Well, the text affirms the reality of an afterlife. It doesn't really tell us much about the afterlife, but it affirms that there is one. Now, by afterlife, I mean the continuation of spiritual life in heaven after physical death. So I'm using afterlife in heaven interchangeably. Okay, Yeshua didn't go back to some obscure text buried somewhere in the Torah. This would have been one of the most well-known passages to these men. And Yeshua says, you don't even get this one? When God said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, Let's compare Matthew's account here to Mark's. Mark says this, And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, this is the Torah, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So Mark says, have you not read in the book of Moses? But Matthew says, have you not read what God said? Okay, So Yeshua affirms here the plenary inspiration of Scripture. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. One says, haven't you read Moses? The other says, haven't you heard God? Same thing. Moses was not just speaking to the Israelites of his day either, because Yeshua says here, it was said to you, speaking to his first century audience, it was spoken to you by God. Now at the end of verse 32, Yeshua said... I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now these words come from an early portion of the book of Exodus known as the bush section. That is, these words were spoken by Moses to Yahweh from the burning bush. Both the precise words and the context are of great significance to us in the matter of the resurrection of the dead. Yahweh identified himself to Moses and thus to Israel as the I am. Exodus 3.14, God said to Mo- Moses, "Come," comes says, Who do I tell him sent me? And he says, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, I am who I am is the Hebrew, Ehiyah Asher, Ehiah. And it means, I am that which exists. The root of Ehiah is Haya, and haia means to be or I exist. So Elohim tells Moses his name is Ahiah. Now, probably many of you never heard of the name Ahia before. You're like, well, I thought his name was Yahweh. Well, let's go to the next verse. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, referring to Yahweh. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So Elohim gives his name to Moses, but this time it is Yahweh. Now the two names, Yahweh and Ehia, they're related. Yahweh includes the verb Hava, which means to exist. And the letter Yod as a prefix meaning he. So Yahweh means he exists. Now, if it is a causative verb, it would mean he causes to exist. And both are true. Yahweh is the self-existent one who causes all things to exist. That's who he is. That's his name. All right? And he says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So Yahweh refers to himself, you know, I'm the God of these people. Speaking to these patriarchs, not as dead, but those who are alive, those who are immortal. Now, if God spoke of dead men as though they were alive, then I think this implied that there was going to be a resurrection. These men would rise from the dead. Now, he said they're dead. These guys are dead. They're there, but he says, no, they're not. Why? Because Daniel 12.2 says, Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall arise. So, but when a believer died, they're not really considered dead they 're considered sleeping because they're going to wake up at the resurrection. That's really important, okay? Now my view is a little different than most. I, I don't I think Sheol simply refers to the grave. When they died they went in the grave. They were considered sleeping. They're awake from that sleep at the resurrection. That's how I understand it. All right Now there may have also been further thought here that, that Yahweh is the God of covenant. And he was the God of Abraham because he had entered into a living covenant with Abraham. He had shown his love to Abraham time and time again. And that was what being the God of Abraham indicated. Now, did the Sadducees then think that the living God would forget that covenant and that relationship when Abraham died? That he would just drop him and overlook him and let him sink into nothingness while still claiming to be his God? No, that's not going to happen. Then he would cease to be the God of Abraham. He would simply be the God of the present generation. He would cease to be the faithful God towards those whom he was in covenant with. And that couldn't be. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would live again. They're sleeping. They're going to rise from the dead. That's why he says, I am the God of them. All right? Now, this event in the life of Moses occurred about 1440 B.C., Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived from 2000 B.C. to 1870 B.C. So they had been dead for a long time when Yahweh said this to Moses. So the Sadducees would have believed them to have been extinct. They're gone. They're no longer existing. But Yahweh said, I am right now. They're they're God because they're just sleeping. The resurrection is going to bring them back. So the resurrection is no small matter. It was and is one of the fundamental and foundational truths of Scripture. Yahweh is the God of the living. As Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if there is no resurrection, if Christ, in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. And believers for us, on this side of AD 70, we have already been raised from the dead. We're not going to sleep because we're already alive. Ephesians says, But God being rich in His mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So I believe when you trust Christ, you receive a resurrection from the dead. You've gone from death to life. We're not going to need a resurrection in that sense. When we die, we just drop the body, move into our new body, and we're in heaven forever. So when we die physically, it's just moving into the heavenly realm for unhindered, unending fellowship with the Lord, never to die again. All right, so we see from this passage that Yeshua affirms the fact of the afterlife. Now let's back up and look at verse 30. He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So one thing this verse tells us about the afterlife or heaven is that there will be no marriage, okay? They neither marry nor are given in marriage. So what's the purpose of marriage? I think the main purpose of marriage is companionship. Of course, procreation is involved in that. In Genesis, at the close of each creative day, God said he saw what he had made and it was good. But when he made Adam, he said, "The well, Yahweh God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the creative work lacked completeness until there was found for Adam a helpmate, a companion. And not until that was done did Yahweh see the work of the last creative day also being good. So I believe that this tells us that Yahweh's primary provision in marriage is companionship. We're created for companionship. With all the sexual aspects that that relationship implies, but when the physical stops, marriage stops. Look at me at Luke's account of this incident. Luke said, And Yeshua said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age... And to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor given in marriage. So here we have the affirmation of the two ages, this age and that age. This age being the age they lived in, that age being the age we live in. Okay? (laughs) Now, according to these verses, those who attain to that age, which would be us, and the resurrection from the dead don't marry. Now, if this is true, why do we marry? And I've heard people use this argument again. Preterists are wrong because they're still marrying. Well, that's just dumb, okay? If you even understand what's going on here, okay, that's a dumb question. We're living in that age and we have experienced the resurrection from the dead. We have been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life by the power of God. So, does this statement about marriage apply to us? Well, who's he talking about in the text? What's one thing about these people that's really important? They're all dead. Okay, after them all, all seven, the woman died. So, okay, everybody's dead. We got that? No one's physically alive. The subject is physically dead people. The the woman and her seven husbands, they're all dead. So this no marriage state will apply after death to all of us when we physically die. It doesn't apply to us now because we are not physically dead. He's talking about dead people in the resurrection. He says they're like angels in heaven. Now, as little as this verse tells us about the afterlife, it tells us more than any other verse that I'm aware of. Okay? So what does it tell us about the afterlife? Well, Yeshua didn't say that the resurrected believers become angels. Some have mistakenly believed that. He said, when they... Those who die under the old covenant age, this age, raised from the dead, that happened in 8070, they don't marry, but they're like angels in heaven. Now, the word like here is a comparative adverb which draws a similar but not exact comparison. All right? So, Yeshua, here's what we got to understand Yeshua's saying in the resurrection, we're going to be like angels. Now, that's cool. Okay. What does that mean? Well, it, Angels is a broad, broad category, okay? There's a lot of there. Cherubim, seraphim, archangels. I think the sons of God. Jude calls the sons of God angels. So it's a spiritual being. It's a God, basically. Little g, all right? But Yeshua's not the only one to say that believers will be like the angels. I believe that Daniel tells us the same thing. Look at Daniel 12.3. And those who are wise... Shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, verse 3 comes after verse (laughs) 2, and verse 2 talks about the resurrection. Okay? Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall arise. All right? So this is talking about the resurrection. All right? Now, who are those who shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven? This is astral language to speak of believers. They viewed the stars as deity. All right, we see that in Job 38 7. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Here, stars and sons of God are synonymous. Hebrew poetry, same thing. The stars are the sons of God. So when he says, like the stars forever, he's talking about they're going to be sons of God. They're going to shine forever. Daniel is saying that believers in the resurrection will be like the sons of God. This is what Yahweh promised Abram in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 5. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now the question here is, So shall your offspring be. Does this refer to the quantitative aspect? You'll be as numerous as the stars? Or does it refer to qualitatively, You're going to be like stars. Well, according to Daniel and according to Yeshua, They're going to be like stars. This is what theologians call Theosis, the deification of man. We are going to be like the divine host, part of Yahweh's celestial family. Now, a number of the early Jewish interpreters of Genesis fifteen five understood the patriarchal promise of being multiplied as the stars of heaven, not merely quantitatively, but also qualitatively that seed would become star-like, assuming the life of the gods or the angels. Peter said, we're partakers of the divine nature. So the common belief of the second temple period was that in the resurrection, we would be like the gods. And they believed that the gods had bodies. There is actually a considerable amount of literature in terms of ancient texts where the writers talk about what the gods are made of. (laughs) Kind of a, I don't know you're going to get an answer to that question. (laughs) Because they appear in bodily form. So they're like, what are these gods made of? So Daniel says believers will be like gods. Yahweh tells Abraham will be like the gods. And that's exactly what Shu is saying here. We'll be like the angels. We're going to be like gods. So what does the Bible say about angels? Or what is he exactly talking about here? Well, like I said, the, the term here for angel is derived from the Hebrew word malak. And malach means messenger. So all the angels, whether it be sons of God, angels, archangel, whatever, they're messengers, and, some, and I believe there's levels and ranks in heaven. Okay, we see that in scriptures. These angels are ranked. There's an authority structure. You got low-level angel messengers. You got high-ranking angel messengers. You got sons of God that sit on the council of the Lord. Strong says Malach, from an unused root, means to dispatch as a deputy, a messenger specifically of God. So no matter what category this angel is, they're messengers of God. They're carrying out God's plan, God's word. They're, they're doing what God told them to do. And so in general, in texts where angel appears, the task is to convey the message or do something on behalf of God. They're there representing God. So in what way are believers in, in the afterlife, how are we like Angels. Well, number one, we already talked about, we don't marry. After physical death, there's no marriage. In heaven, men became spiritual beings like the angels, and we don't marry. Marriage is for now. Marriage is not for the afterlife. Sorry, babe. I think you'll make it without me. (laughs) That's true, Zoe. Thank you. All right, secondly, Luke's account also tells us that we cannot die. For they cannot die anymore. They are equal to the angels and the sons of God. Now see how Luke compares angels and sons of God? Same thing, all right? He's comparing them. Remember, the context is speaking of physically dead people that are spiritually alive. So the death that he speaks of here is any death. You can't die physically, you can't die spiritually. We can't die spiritually now. We will die physically. Resurrection brings us to a state where he or she can never again experience his death, which is to say we'll never be separated from Yahweh. It's true of us now. The only thing for us to experience is physical death. So what else do we know about angels that will apply to us after physical death? All right. Now, back in 2013, when I did this series, I said that angels are incorporeal. They don't have bodies. And as a spoof text, now, let me tell you the difference here. A lot of times you come up with a doctrine, and then to support your doctrine, you give a text, right? That's called a proof text. This text proves what I say. When the text doesn't prove what you say, it's called a spoof text, okay? It's not, it doesn't fit. So I gave a spoof text that I thought was a proof text, and I said Hebrews 1, 13 to 14. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Now, I said that since it says the angels are spirits, this means they don't have bodies. And as a spoof text, I use Luke twenty four thirty nine. See, Yeshua's talking here, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now, I believe that when the Lord resurrected from the dead, he res- the physical body that went into the grave came out of the grave. So he's still physical. He's a resurrected physical being. He still has scars in his hands, scars in his body. And that's why he says, touch me, I'm not a spirit, it's me. And he says a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. since angels are spirits, rather than physical beings, and spirits don't have flesh and bones, I took that to say they don't have bodies. But that isn't what the text says. Spirits don't have flesh and bones, but they do have bodies. It's a spiritual body that are made not of flesh and bones. Now, I used to think that spiritual body was an oxymoron. Okay, because if you got a body, spirits, the spirit's more like a, a wisp or, I don't know, you can't see it, okay? And so I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around spiritual body. I thought that was non-material. But a spiritual body is a non-fleshly body. It's corporeal. It is a body made for the spirit realm. I really think heaven is kind of mirror of earth in a lot of senses. Okay, a lot of things that go on there are going on here as far as authority structure, as far as a lot of things. Just in that realm, it's a beautiful, amazing realm without a lot of the things we deal with here. But the Bible not only says the angels are spirits, the Bible says Yahweh is a spirit. John four twenty four. God's a spirit. Those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Now, saying that God is a spirit is often taken to mean he doesn't have a body. That's how I took it. So basically, this message is a, a polemic against my message. I'm, I'm arguing with myself here, okay? So if you don't like what I say, go listen to the old one. And you'll agree with that, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not. If we compare this verse with what Lazarus told us earlier in the Gospels, we might get a different viewpoint. Look what he says in John 3, 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh that was born of spirit is spirit now two words are being contrasted here flesh and spirit in the greek it's sarks and numa now in paul's letters paul does a lot of contrasting between sarks and numa these two words all right but in the fourth gospel the contrast only appears here and in the synoptic gospel the sark numa contrast only appears in mark at yeshua's prayer at Gethsemane where yeshua says watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, what is the context of flesh in John 3:6 and Mark 14, 38? I think it's human frailty. This is not sinful nature. He's not using flesh in a sinful sense. He's using it as human frailty. Until now, man has only thought of in terms of birth in human terms. The seed of man bears children. Man is begotten by the seed of a human father and becomes flesh when he is born into the kingdom of the world. But Yeshua tells Nicodemus that man can enter the kingdom of God only when he is born of the heavenly father, only when he's born from above. So earthly life comes to man from an earthly father, but spiritual life only comes from the heavenly father. So that which is born of spirit here is referring to Christians, right? Right? Now that you're born of flesh, talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is born of flesh. That's just flesh. But if you're born of the Spirit, then you're spirit. So we could say Christian is a spirit. He's spiritual. He's born of the Spirit. He is spirit. But that doesn't mean we don't have bodies. Because last time I checked, we do. Sometimes more than we want. But we have bodies, okay? And saying that God is a spirit doesn't mean... He doesn't have a body. All right, let me ask you a question here. This is you're gonna to have to put on your thinking caps here. All right. Which member of the Trinity is this referring to? <laughs> Who said that, Veronica? Thank you, Veronica. I'll, pick, I'll get your prize later. All right, and another question what members of the Trinity are God? All of them. Come on, class. God is a Trinity, okay? So when it says God is Spirit, is that referring to the Father? Yep. Is it referring to the Son? Is it referring to Spirit? Yes, they're all God. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. The song. Some songs are actually biblical, okay? <laughs> all of them are God. Now, God here in the Greek is Theos. And I just, I hate it. It's a bad translation. Because this is referring to Yahweh, all right? But when you get to the New Testament, they just use Theo as a. Uh, Theos is just like a Elohim, okay? It's a, it's, it's a doesn't tell us all that much, all right? Now we know that Yeshua is Yahweh. He claims that all the time. But guess what? He had a body, didn't he? As far as I know. He, yes, body. So saying God is a spirit doesn't mean he doesn't have a body. It means that he is spiritual, he's not fleshly. Well, let's look at a few texts that talk about God's, that talk about angels, that talk about Yahweh having a body. And again, I don't when I did this first time, I don't know how I missed all this stuff, but let's look at it. All right, Genesis 6. Controversial text. When man began to multiply in the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. What's happening here? Sons of God is referring to divine beings. Okay, it's not the line of Seth. This is divine beings. This is part of Yahweh's divine counsel. Now, if you're not familiar with the divine counsel viewpoint, please go to our website, go to the studies page, and you can scroll down there near the bottom. You'll find a topic just dealing with the divine viewpoint, and it'll give you an idea where we're coming from with this. But these are... Divine beings; these are gods, and they left heaven because they looked down and they said, "Wow, there's some good-looking woman down there." We're heaven to go down there, and they married these women, and they had offspring with them. So we got divine beings here leaving heaven and producing hybrid offspring. In Genesis six, 4 says, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So now you have a Nephilim that is a half-breed, half-God, half-man. So what happens when a man dies? Well, the spirit part becomes the demons because now you've got this part that's left alive and the man has died. That's where they say that demons originated from. But let me say this. Do you, these gods, these sons of God, must have had bodies if they married women. Don't you think? I mean, kind of hard to think these marrier, women are marrying what? A wisp? <laughs> a, a, a ghost? A, a, a cloud? No, they're men, okay? They look like men, they talk like men, but they were mighty men. And what woman doesn't want to marry a God, right, babe? Yeah. You lucked out. <laughs> oh my. Okay. Pull it together. We'll talk about this text more next week. Okay. This is an important text, and you know, very important text to this discussion. Uh, but let's move on. All right. Genesis 18. And Yahweh appeared to him. This this is Abram, this is the hymn. Okay, Yahweh appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Abram, he lifts up his eyes and he looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself to the earth and he said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now the Hebrew word there for appeared is ra'ah. Which means to see, to look at, to inspect. Okay, so Abraham saw Yahweh. Okay, he saw him. And what did he look like? A man. It wasn't a wisp, it wasn't a cloud, it was he saw three men. So I'd assume that these men had bodies. And Yahweh is there with these two angels, and Abraham sees them. Look at the next verse. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under a tree. So they had feet. (laughs) And they must have looked like human feet. They must have looked like humans. And he says, let me wash your feet. So he's looking at them. He's talking to them. Verse 5 says, When I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on. Since you have come to your servant, so they said, do as you have said. So Abraham wants to feed them, and he's just being hospitable. He saw them as men, he saw them having bodies, he saw them as needing nourishment. Let me feed you. So verse 8 says, Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate you got God here, Yahweh, and two angels having dinner with Abraham. Now, how does a spirit body eat? I don't know. Do they have to go to the bathroom, too? I don't know. You know? But they can eat. What happens to it? I don't think they need to eat, but obviously they can eat. Abraham serves them food, and he just watches them. Now, remember, angels and Yahweh are called spirits, Spirits don't have flesh and bones, but they obviously have bodies made out of something. Okay? Now, the text goes on with Yahweh and Abraham talking and even debating. Remember? God says, hey, I'm going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham goes, what if there's 50 righteous? Okay, I'll let it live for... How about 40? And he just keeps arguing with God, you know? Mm -hmm. And then God leaves. And the angels carry on to Sodom. In verse 19, chapter 19, it says, two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When he saw them, again, here's angels, and he sees them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servants' house. It's funny, they see these strangers and they beg them to stay with them. This is hospitality. We see strangers and we turn around or we'll walk the other way. <laughs> There's a hotel down the street. Hospitality was so important in this culture. Please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Again, he wants to wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. So in Sodom, here's Lot, and he sees these angels. He offers to wash their feet. He offers to house them, to take care of them. He sees them as human. Verse 3 says, But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So this is the angel's second meal. They're eating again. They they ate with Abraham, now they're eating with Lot. All right, and they're in Sodom. I don't think we can say that because they are spirit, they don't have bodies. Obviously, they have bodies. Men can see them. They seem to appear as human. And chapter 32 of Genesis, verse 24, says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, who is Jacob wrestling with here? <laughs> Genesis 32, 28. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob. You shall be called Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So Jacob is wrestling with God. Now, that would be hard to do if God didn't have a body. Okay? You've seen the marvel things when you, what's one of those people that disappears, you know? You grab them and they're gone. Well, no, he has a body and he's wrestling with him. And then God touches his hip, throws the hip out. There's more to the story than we understand because he wasn't physically beating Yahweh, okay, but there's more going on here. All right, let's look at some New Testament sightings of angels. John 20, verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Yeshua had been, One at the head and one at the feet. So Mary sees these angels and they're sitting. How does she know they're sitting? Because she sees them and they got bodies, so she, oh, they're sitting down on the thing. All right? Again, that implies they have a body. Hebrews 13, 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So you're with an angel and you're supposed to be hospitable. You don't know they're an angel. So what's that tell you? They must look human, right? And by the way, angels are always men. They always appear as men. It's funny, in our culture, angels are always women, right? (laughs) But biblically, they're always men, okay? I don't know why that is. That's just how it is. Don't get mad at me. Look at what Paul said about believers after the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, 42. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, that's your fleshly body, it's sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. Now, imperishable, that's a term used by Philo and other Jews to describe the gods. They are imperishable. Now, the Stoics use that language to talk about the pneumatic beings, the spirit beings. They're imperishable. Whatever the heavenly body is, whatever it's made of, it's made of stuff that's imperishable. Like those beings who are imperishable. So Paul is saying that believers will be like the gods. Yeshua said, we'll be like the angels. Same categories, all right. So what is the spirit body like? Well, we don't know a lot about it, but there are texts that give us some idea of what we can expect. First of all, the spiritual body is powerful. Okay? Genesis 19, 10, 11. Back to Sodom. But the men reached out their hands. The, the angels get into Sodom at Lot's house, and all the homos come out, all the Sodomites, and they want to have sex with these angels. They must have been good-looking men. Hey, we want to throw them out, you know? And he wouldn't do it. And it says, the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into this. Speaking of the angels, they brought Lot into the house with them, And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, and they wore themselves out, groping for the door. What's this tell you about the level of perversion? You've been blinded, but you don't stop. You're not saying, well, I can't see anymore. I'm going home. Forget this. No, they keep trying to find the door. They want to do what they want to do, no matter if they're blind or not. Okay? But here's the thing. The angels look human, and the men of town wanted to have sex with them, so the, and they when they're coming to the house, the angels just go, and the whole town is blind. That's some powerful stuff, okay? Speaking of the destruction of Egypt, the psalm says this. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. So these angels were God's messengers of destruction. They destroyed Egypt. Again, These angels, these spirit beings are powerful, all right? We see this in 2 Chronicles 32, 21. And Yahweh sent an angel and cut off all the mighty warriors and the commanders and the officers in the camp. So here these angels come, and they look human, but they have superhuman strength and ability, and they just wipe out this army. Um, Angels can fight with each other, okay? Revelation 12, 7. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon is his. Angels fight back. Now, I don't know how they're doing this without body. Are they just yelling at each other? Is this a verbal fight? No, this is a war going on in heaven, and it just sounds like they got bodies. It sounds a lot like a war here. They're fighting one another. Now, notice what Paul says about angels in Colossians. Colossians one sixteen. Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, the word thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, they probably refer to spirit beings and not human government. And in part, this refers to the hierarchy of spiritual beings. And invisible here refers to these spirit beings. So angels and the gods can be visible or they can be invisible. And the, the text we already looked at, people saw them. They just looked, they walking into town, they see the angels, they knew they were angels. But sometimes they're invisible. And we had, the men have to be made, their eyes have to be opened so they can even see that world. You remember in 2 Kings where Elijah prayed that his servant would see the armies surrounding the city? 2 Kings 6, 15, and 17 says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, he went out, and behold, the army with horses and chariots was all around the city, and the servant said, Alas, master, what shall we do? And Elijah said, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The servant's thinking, Those with us? It's me and you? Who are you talking about? Then Elijah prayed and said, Oh, Yahweh, please, please, Open his eyes that he may see. So Yahweh opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So they see this in the earthly realm. They're surrounded by horses and chariots and armies and they're like, We're in trouble. And they open your eyes and well, look, we got the same thing in heaven, but they're a lot more powerful. Again, it's kind of a mirror image here, but these are way more powerful. So Yahweh opens his eyes and he sees into the spiritual realm and he sees the host of Yahweh. How about this one? <laughs> Numbers twenty-two, twenty-three, 23. And the donkey saw the angel of Yahweh standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn it onto the road. So Balaam's mad. What are you, dumb donkey? What are you doing? Get back on the road. The donkey sees the angel, but Balaam doesn't see it until Yahweh opens his eyes. In verse 31, then Yahweh opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of Yahweh standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. The donkey is saving Balaam from getting his head cut off from the angel. So this angel is invisible. Until Yahweh opened Balaam's eyes to see him. So the spirit body seems to be able to be seen or invisible, and when it's visible, it appears human. Now, I don't think these angels are just taking on bodies when they come into this realm because where do they get them from? Get some dead guy and assume his identity? No, they they, they can appear, they can disappear. In our realm, often, you know, they're seen. Obviously, he says, you know, be careful because you're entertaining angels unaware. You don't even know they're angels. They're spirit beings with spirit bodies. They look a lot like ours, but there's a lot of different characteristics. Now, next week, we're going to continue to look at what the Bible says about angels and maybe get into some controversial stuff, but I'm just going to stick to the text. (laughs) So you, you hang on and let's just follow through the text with me and don't Hang on to all your preconceived ideas. They might have to give up some of them. All right. But uh, so I just I've taken a very different view this time. Again, I didn't think, you know, we had bodies in the afterlife. And uh, because I couldn't wrap my head around a spirit body. To me, they were spirit just means <laughs> that doesn't what it means. That's not what it means at all. OK, you got a fleshy realm. You got a spiritual realm. And that's heaven. Heaven is a realm it's going to be, but you know, this idea of us sitting on a cloud with a harp and a what? No, no. I believe it's, like I said, again, I believe it's like a mirror realm. We're going to be doing a lot of same things we do. We're going to be working. We're going to be carrying out tasks. We're going to be doing things, but it's not going to be, it's, it's not going to be, you know, yeah. When you say work, people cringe. Let me tell you this. Um, if you do what you like, it's not work, right? The proverb says, the man who loves his job never works a day in his life. According to that, I don't work at all. Of course, my neighbors would agree with that. They always see me at home, so they think I don't work. But And again, let me just say thank you. Uh, thank you for giving me the privilege to do what I do because I love what I do, and I can't imagine not doing it. It's just, it's fun, okay? It's fun. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word, Lord. Father, there's so much we don't understand. I just pray you'd give us insight into the text of Scripture. Help us to be faithful to the text, to just hang on to what it teaches us, to cling to what we know, the things that You have disclosed to us. Father, I long for and am excited about the spiritual realm when we pass from this earth into Your very presence to dwell with You in that realm. Lord, I I just pray as we go through this study that we would be encouraged and excited about what is the future for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, text. I mean questions. <laughs> text, yeah. I I'm thinking about texting people who are texting. I see that hand. Hands all over the auditorium. There you go. No, I just thought it was funny. The um you opened the message with the you know, neither given nor marriage. Neither marriage because they will be like angels. Right. right. And then you talk about Genesis six, the angels coming down. That that's the text that people always bring up in the end. To show that Genesis six can't be, because angels don't marry, like they don't have the parts or something to do. They, how does that work? Yes, and I, I believe me, I thought about that. I'm like, okay, the Bible says sons of God, the angels don't in heaven don't marry, but these angels, these sons of God left heaven to marry. Right. <laughs> right. Or well, do anything and procreate. Well, you know, they got a problem with a lot of text, especially a lot of the pseudepigraphal work, okay? You got a lot to deal with there about this. I mean, and, and Jude and Peter quote, okay, Enoch. So they must have had, they must have thought that Enoch had something to say when they're quoting it. Now, I don't believe, and I've taught this, Enoch is scripture. But I believe that all the New Testament writers were very familiar with the for work and drew from it. Oh, my word, they're pouring in. Okay. (laughs) I don't even... I would love to see a David Curtis Tovia singer debate. Anybody know what that means? Okay. I don't know who Toby is. I'm glad I, I feel not as dumb because nobody else knows what it means either. so sorry, I don't understand the question. OK, from Norm, Norm, how do you comprehend the incomprehensible? Good question, Norm. From Scripture, I really do believe there's another world. I agree with you. I think it teaches that 1 Corinthians 15 makes it clear that there is a real place in another realm with real substance, only spiritual. If we have everlasting life existence, then it is real and genuine. Love you all. And I agree. It's not just a, we're not going to be a spirit floating around, you know, there's a, it's a real world people. And our world, I think is manufactured after that world. So again, there's going to be a lot of similarities Um. all right junior says (laughs) we just got our bream bible church cups and they got his picture of the mug the mugs are going over big all right cool thank you junior use it for advertising if spirits have body and god is a spirit how does he live with us (laughs) here's another question and that's a good question okay God does will live with us. He dwells. God is omnipresent. Okay, what does that mean? All of God is in every place. Now, is a body in every place? He's this, this is God, okay? That's what Norm just said. How do you comprehend the incomprehensible? How about the demons that were in the man, and he says, what's your name? And he says, we're legion. What's that? That's 6,000. How do you get... If they got bodies, they must be real little. <laughs> Again, there's, there's, there's so much to this that, you know, this is why I'm saying it's, it's difficult for us to understand. We know that gods have bodies. It's not like ours. That's limited and localized. Okay. How in that day will you know that I am in my father and you and me and I and you? Uh, So you're saying they're in one another, they have bodies, they can't, this is okay. Again, we're dealing with stuff that is very difficult to understand we have one God who exists in three persons. All right? How do you understand that? The Trinity is incomprehensible to us. Faith. Huh? Faith. Well, we believe the Bible says that. Yeah, you can't just wrap your mind around these things. But again, the body's pretty clear that the angels, the Bible's pretty clear the body has angels. Dave, I'm sure you have heard the Sadducees because they did not believe in the resurrection. Yeah, that's why they were sad, you see. That's a good way to remember what they believe. I always thought that the Lord was saying that in the age to come, they would not marry because their heritage was to give in physical marriage, to take a wife and to have children. And that was physical to where in the future spiritual kingdom, Christ was referring to those who are and would be spiritually begotten, not of God. Well, again, in, in the eternal realm, there's no procreation in that spiritual realm. Why? Because we're procreating here, and we go from here to there. So we're starting out on the physical plane where the divine council and the gods that were created, they were just created as gods, God's family. And that's what we're going to be part of, that family of beings, okay? Thank you, David, for the time spent researching and organizing your presentation in a way we can understand. Steve, currently in South Texas. Thank you, Steve. if I hi Dave, if I understood you correctly, you suggested that it was only believers who slept in the grave when they physically died and awaited spiritual resurrection, AD 70. That's what I did imply. Now I know that Daniel says that the resurrection of the just and unjust. Okay. But the Bible speaks. And I did a message not long ago. I guess it was from Thessalonians on the idea that sleep refers to believers. They're going to be resurrected to life. So, you know, I understand that Daniel does say that, and so that can be confusing. Um, this suggests that those who sleep were both believers and non-believers, not just believers. Thank you for your preaching, your continuous pursuit of biblical truth, and the challenging and encouraging to all the Bereans. Thank you. I appreciate that, brother. And I, and I know that text in Daniel is, it says... The, the those who sleep in the dust will resurrect the righteous and the unrighteous, the just and the unjust. They're all going to be resurrected. And it refers to them all as sleeping. And I guess because, I, if I had to guess, I guess I would say because the unbelievers are going to stand before judgment. Okay? And so they're resurrected to judgment, so they're not dead in the sense that they're going to come alive and face judgment and then be gone. So I, Again, believe me, there's so much... I don't understand, okay? (laughs) This is Brandon from Oregon. What about Yeshua saying, no man has ever seen Yahweh except the Son? Was Yahweh just cloaked in His appearance? Yeah, that's particularly talking about the Father, because Christ was Yahweh and we saw Him, okay? So, again, (laughs) the Bible talks about God having a body. It talks about a lot of things that you know, I mean, if he does have a body, again, how can he be omnipresent? How can he be all places? But he is. So he can be here and there. And not all, not all angels have wings. There are winged angels. There are some angels that they still fly, I think. Could this message lead into a discussion as to what it means to be made in the image of God? Since God is spirit. Thanks, Eric from Texas. You know, Eric, I, I don't know where I'm going with this all yet, but that could be. We will talk about that. The question behind my first question are all made in the image of God? Yes, to answer that question, I believe we all are made in the image of God. I believe that image was marred in the fall, but I believe we were. Another question now in 8070, were they all judged and no longer evil beings interacting with humans? No more demonic influences? Yes, I believe that in 8070, the demons were judged. They were put down. That's Matthew 24 talks about that. The stars falling from heaven. Again, those are deities. They fell from heaven because they were judged. I believe that all the demons were judged at that time and put away. I don't think there are demons today. I know that's looking at our government that's hard to believe, but I think that's what the Bible teaches, okay? All right, this is uh, from Mike Sullivan the pit bull of preterism. Wouldn't it make more sense to believe God and angels could manifest themselves in physical bodies on earth instead of portraying or speculating of God as physically eating and going to the bathroom in a heavenly realm? Yes, I, I again, I think they can manifest that way or not manifest, but when they're not, I think there is some kind of a body. I don't think they just turn into mist. And then, again, but like I said, this is a subject that, uh, maybe on my pay grade, <laughs> because, again, if all of God is everywhere, okay, this gets difficult, you know, but the Bible does talk about them eating. Did he just take on a body? What, did he just make it and jump in it? Was it waiting for him? Did he carry it with him and, it, you know, he inflates it and jump? I don't know, you know. There's a lot of things here that, that give us a lot to think about. Okay, I think that, well, all right. Okay, Mike, you weighed in, so now the blue-collar scholar is weighing in. I want to make sure I get the right. Benjamin Summer has a book called The Bodies of God. He explains that the ancient conception was that God had a corporeal body and could also be omnipresent at the same time. It is true even though we can't understand it, like the Trinity. Uh, And that's what we talk about. It it is, you know, how do you have a body and be all places at all times? This is not like our body. See, we think in our own terms what we understand. We think of this body and the limitations this body had. You can't just blind people like that. You can't do the things they did. It's a different... But I think the thing I'm trying to stress is we will have a body that we're not going to be just floating mist when we get to heaven, okay? It's not like, oh, the body dies and now we're just floating around up there and how do we know anybody? Oh, you're pink miss. That must be a girl, you know? I, no, I mean, to what? Don't assume that. Don't assume that. <laughs> <laughs> purple and pink, purple and pink are different. Come on now. Is it true that the words morning star is attributed both to Christ and Satan in the scriptures? I know it's attributed to Christ. I'm, not, I'm trying to think of it. In Ezekiel 28, he uses that of, of uh, Satan. I don't, I don't know that it does. Not to my knowledge. I'd have to look into that, though. So I can't answer that. <sighs> right. Yeah, right. But I don't know that scripture calls him that. Do you? Okay. Gary? You mentioned this in bring bringing up today, that um, the gods were tempted by women. They came down to earth then. I mean, what chance do we (laughs) have? You know, uh, and we're going to talk about this next week, okay? But uh, these gods dwelling in the presence of Yahweh in the eternal realm, left the eternal realm, which is a sin, cohabitated with women, which was a sin, and they were judged because of it, okay? Yeah, that's, you know, I don't know what that shows. It just shows that, well, we'll talk about that next week. All right. <laughs> Anybody else, we done here? In Boy, what in the world is this, Bill? I can't open it. <clears> he <throat> sent me a text, but it's like a picture form, and it's just really small, and I can't make it bigger. Um, is your conclusion then that God has a spiritual body? Yes. Thought I made that clear. <laughs> <laughs> How do we interpret inter- um, the concept with our understanding of the triune nature of the Godhead—three persons, three bodies? That's a good question. How do you describe the Trinity? How do you have three persons, you know, distinct persons? We know the Son had a body. It's never mentioned the Spirit does or the Father does, but again, God had a body. The gods are known as having bodies. Um, Can we not simply say that God and the angels, though not physical, can manifest possessing physicality? Yeah, we could say that. We could say they just manifest. But what are they manifesting? The body they dwell in. So are they mist most of the other time? Again, if you don't have a body, what are you? What do you have? It's not something we can comprehend. And like I said, I really think whenever they're dealing with humans, they have bodies. Could God have just had them show up as a mist? Or do they just manifest this body? It seems like they have bodies. And again, it seems like these bodies are pretty real if they're having offspring. Don't you think? It relates to uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9. where no eye in the mind. heard, right. Again, you, know, you see these questions that are coming up, and you have to realize this is a subject that, okay, we're talking about the afterlife. I mean, something Christians should really want to know and understand, right? <laughs> and we're spending eternity there. Don't we want to understand it? Why is there so little about it? I really think it's beyond our ability to comprehend. And hopefully it's beyond my ability. Let me say that. I don't know about you. It's beyond my ability to comprehend because it's just vast. It's like, how, what is a spiritual body? What can it do? You know, where does it, how does it do this stuff? I don't know. It's a deep subject. But, you know, I just ask you to dig in and see what you can figure out. Uh, I don't even know who said this, but they say bodies can be tangible or intangible. Yeah, and they can be visible or invisible. Could Christ have had this kind of body when he walked through the crowd when they wanted to kill him? Um, I can answer that question. No, when Christ was on earth, he lived in a body just like ours. Same thing. You say, well, how did he do that? Because Christ operated in the power of the spirit when he was on earth. All right. Christ, when he was on earth, did not function in the deity. He was 100% God, 100% man, 200%, that doesn't work out, but he was 100% man, he was the God-man. But when he walked the earth, he walked as a man, independent, I mean, independence on the Spirit, okay? Because he was our example. We don't have a divine nature in the sense that we can trust, you know, do this or do that. The things he did, he did by the power of the Spirit. And that's why there's things he didn't know. He says, only the Father knows because He was a man. And unless the Spirit let Him know, He didn't know. He's our example. We're to trust the Spirit. We're to walk in the Spirit. That's how He did the things He did. So when He he walked through doors, if He walked through doors, when the disciples are all in a locked room and He shows up, but He showed up in a physical body because He said, look at the scar, touch my hand. I don't believe He's got a scarred body anymore. Okay, I believe that He is in His divine perfect spirit body now (laughs) okay oh that was can bodies be tangible or intangible that was from Karen Rogers thanks Karen appreciate you you clarifying that it seems this is from Bill Evans the truck driver theologian It seems at the very least that spiritual beings are interdimensional. They don't travel great distance through time and space, but merely pass from one dimension into another as needed. I would agree. I mean, again, how much do we not understand about this? There is a different realm. They're from that realm, and they appear in our realm. And they sometimes appear visible, sometimes they appear invisible. They do powerful things in this realm, and so what's going on in that realm? See, that's the thing. I have a hard time... All right, they're here in this realm and they go to that realm and now they're just missed. I think it's a parallel universe. I think they're a lot like us in a lot of ways, but in a spiritual dimension. When they garden Eden and Christ went off to pray and Elijah and Moses appeared, I mean, how did they know it was That's a mountain of transfiguration. Yeah, transfiguration, yeah. yeah. yeah and that's my question. When they showed, How did they know who that was? Wait, I got a picture here. I think it's a lot. <laughs> Nobody had pictures of them. Nobody knew what they looked like, but they knew. This is Moses and Elijah. What do they represent? The law and the prophets. Moses and Elijah. That's the law and the prophets. That's what the whole picture is, okay? All right. <laughs> We're going to close with prayer now and just be done, okay? Went a little long. <laughs> Spare you the aggravation. <laughs> All right, folks, Listen. Thanks for hanging with us, through. Thanks for the questions. I appreciate it. Keep them coming. We'll work through this together. Uh, you got some scriptures you think manifest something differently than what I've been saying? Let me know. I'd be glad to look at them. Um, I'm not claiming to be an expert here, okay? I'm just saying I was wrong before, or maybe I'm wrong now. One of these times I'm wrong. Maybe one of them I'm right. <laughs> if I go both views, maybe I've got to be right one of the times, right? I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks, uh, hopefully, and get into a little more about it and try to see what we can figure out, because we're going to spend eternity there. I'd like to know what I can, but again, so just pray for me for the next couple of weeks, all right? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege, for the opportunity to be here together in the house of God, to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, i just love to get together with the family. It's a blessed time, Lord. I thank you for our extended family that joins us via the internet. Lord, we are so blessed, so thankful for all you have provided for us. I pray, Father, that we, as your family, would constantly be a source of comfort and encouragement to one another, that we would be ministers of grace to our other brothers and sisters, that coming here would be a time of being lifted up and encouraged and supported. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. I pray that you would teach us from your word. Use all of us, Lord, in this endeavor that we may grow together, that we may honor you. Thank you, Father. Amen.